good morning, everybody. My name is Elliot, and I'll be doing today's Bible reading. So today's passage, passage is Job 1, verses 1 to 22. Um, if anybody needs a Bible, feel free to raise your hand, and somebody will uh, come get one for you. And while everybody's getting to that, I'll quickly pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your almighty power, by which we are given the safety and privilege to come together as a church and learn more about you. I pray that we may understand and be impacted by today's message, and that you give us the will to put it into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Job 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands, so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Elsie. Thanks, Elsie. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be back. Uh, Bonnie and I and the family just got back from holidays a few days ago. Good to see some of your faces. Uh, Good to see, obviously, people back from holidays as well, as well as a bunch of new faces here with us. So uh, I'll extend my warm welcome to you as well. 
Now, uh, if you are just joining us back in this week, uh, we're actually spending January recapping some of the major teaching series that we went through last year. Okay, and I actually really uh, think that's a great thing for us because it actually gives you a chance just to review what we looked at last year, to be thinking about those lessons and then what it means to actually apply them for 2023. So this morning, we're going to be recapping the book of Job. Okay, this series that we did last year, uh, we call it Making Sense of the Storm. Making Sense of the Storm. You know, what do we do? How do we react when things go wrong, when suffering comes, when, uh, when life just gets turned upside down? You know, the new year always brings the promise of things being new and a fresh start. And, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of year that you had last year. I don't know whether 2022 was a good year for you and, and there were new exciting challenges that you took on and you conquered and you felt like, you know, that was a good year for us or for me. I don't know whether 2022 was a really hard year for you. Maybe things didn't go well. Maybe you lost someone you loved. That's always interesting, isn't it, just to be thinking about, you know, because I think when things do go wrong, it does reveal something about us, doesn't it? You know, I don't know what you talked about in your uh, little moments to talk about, you know, when things go wrong, how do you react, you know? You know, uh, just on our holiday, you know, two weeks off, uh, the first holiday we'd had for about, I think it was about seven or eight months before we'd uh, finally had some time off. And uh, what happened, as, as often happens during holidays, is we all got sick. You know, one by one through the family, yes, we all got sick, and probably for a good week or so, there was someone sick uh, uh, in our family, and, uh, and, and, and I just remember just kind of almost having that, that adult tantrum moment, you know, <laughs> that moment where you're just like, why? Why have we been waiting for this holidays for so long? We're down in Sydney, you know, ch- chance to catch up with some friends, go to the beach, do some fun stuff. Why am I stuck in bed? I just wanted to curl up and, uh, and I just wanted to feel sorry for myself, you know? You know that moment of self-pity? See, when hard things come, they catch us off guard. It shows us something of, of what's inside us and, uh, and it does ask us that question. How do we respond when things go wrong, when things are out of our control? And it's sort of a funny thing, because I, as I was thinking about it, it's like, you know, we, we really should be better at this, shouldn't we? Like, like, life is hard. You will get sick. Maybe it'll be just a kind of temporary cold flu kind of thing, or maybe it'll be something chronic. Maybe it'll be something terminal. Maybe you'll experience some sort of financial hardship. Relational breakdown, marriage difficulties, conflict with family, friends, fail an exam, have a half-life crisis, quarter-life crisis. See, life is hard. It's frequently disappointing. And it asks a lot of questions of us and who we are, but it also asks a lot of questions about God and who He is. Who is a good God when things go wrong so frequently? How does God, how, how are we to think of a God who's supposedly in charge of everything when things go so wrong in my life? See, these are the questions that the book of Job really wrestles with. And we wrestled with them over about seven or eight week period last year. Uh, if you want to catch up on those, uh, on those talks, you can go and listen to the full series. It's all there. Look on our website under the podcast and resources section. And you can catch up on that. We had really good feedback from that series. See, the book of Job, it's really one of the most fascinating books of the Bible. In fact, uh, it's not just one of the most fascinating books of the Bible. It's actually considered, really, it's a masterpiece in ancient literature not just amongst Christians. It's a book that wrestles with these deep 
philosophical questions. Does it through uh, poetry and dialogue? Uh, you know, like as Elliot was reading it out, you might have gone, oh, you know, this feels a bit like a, a, bit like a play or a musical, uh, something like that. So what we're going to be doing today, we're going to have a quick look, mainly at Job chapter 1, because it, it does actually capture all of the themes of Job just there in that first chapter. But we will do a really quick snapshot over the whole book, just so you can uh, get a good sense of it. But what we see there in chapter 1, in the very start of the book, uh, we meet this bloke called Job. He lives in the land of Uz. Uh, that's not in Israel, if you know the Old Testament. Um, Job, in fact, he doesn't, he's not an Israelite at all. So he could be anyone, could be you or me. Uh, this is a book that's uh, not just uh, specific to, to God and his people, but it's actually something that, that raises all these universal themes of suffering and, and God. See, in verse 1 there, if you've got your Bibles there to Job, it says this, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons, three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Right? A good man, upright, blameless, feared God. A man of integrity, of fabulous riches. Not just a playboy, though, not sort of, you know, some sort of billionaire playboy who inherited a, a, a fortune from his, uh, from his parents, but actually he's a family man. He's got 10 kids, life all around pretty good, feasts and birthdays. As you read on, you kind of get this, this, this full, rich life that this man Job lives, blessed in everything he does. You know, I was trying to think, you know, who is that modern version of that? You know, I think today we kind of think of the, the famous Hollywood actor uh, who's also, you know, got the family around them. You know, the Chris Hemsworth would be like the most Australian version of that. And he just seems to kind of live this uh, fun, free lifestyle on the beach. You know, goes and make a Marvel movie every year and earns a zillion dollars out of that. Uh, you know, I don't know what the female equivalent is. Maybe it's Emily Blunt or Kristen Bell, Taylor Swift. Beautiful, successful, famous people who seem to have it all. But Job's even got something on them. You see, uh, Job, actually, uh, he's also spiritually and religiously sorted out as well. Verse 4, his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So the very first introduction just paints this picture of perfection, right? This is the life, isn't it? Riches, livestock, uh, fame, the most famous man in the East, uh, a family who enjoy coming together for these feasts. But his little snapshot of paradise gets quickly snapped right there, very quickly. Now, what happens is we're, we're transported up into the courts of heaven now. So, scene change uh, up in heaven. Uh, uh, you know, where we get this little picture of, of, of this conversation that happens between God and Satan. In verse 6. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. 
so uh, Satan, the one who is the accuser, he comes to God uh, because, uh, and he's got this proposition to God, right? He says, you know, God, Job only obeys you because you've blessed him with so much. Just look at his life. Take that all away from him and see what happens. Verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replies, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands, that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You know those moments where, where a whole series of things just, just go wrong and you, you sort of feel like, like, like everything's against you? Well, spare a thought for Job in this moment. Uh, there's a little snapshot into, this, into the throne room of heaven and uh, this conversation with Satan and God and... Uh, and I think in some ways, this is sort of to try and open our minds a little bit to say, well, there is actually a lot more going on in the universe and the cosmos of the heavens and earth and everything, that there are forces, that there are things going on to which we don't have any uh, access or we're not privy to, the, to everything that, that goes on in, in the throne rooms of heaven. See, it's sort of saying, saying to us, well, there is actually more to this universe than just atoms and physical forces of chemistry and physics. No, there are spiritual beings. There is a God in charge of it all. There is a, an accuser, Satan, who goes around trying to ruin lives. But the big message actually to get out of this is also that none of this happens outside of God's control. It's, it's not like God's only got a limited bit of control and, and, and Satan and the devils and stuff have their own bit of control. No, God has to give Satan permission to even touch Job in his life. Now, what happens is uh, next is uh, comically tragic in a way. It's sort of like a, like a dark comedy in a way. So uh, Job loses everything. Right On the same day, Job loses his flocks to the raiding Sabaeans, his sheep and his servants to fire, uh, his camp camels to the raiding Chaldeans, and then finally his children, all of them die to this uh, accident, this collapse of this house upon all of them, kills all of them. See, could things get any worse? See, and what happens is all these four servants then come racing to Job and he, they bring him these, this whole series of tragic events, one after another. And then if you think that's the end of it, you read on to chapter 2 and there's a second round of suffering on Job. See, Job goes from being fabulously healthy and wealthy and uh, family relationally rich to poverty, loneliness, his wealth gone. The place, the, the place where he found the most satisfaction in his family with his, with his children, gone. The man who used to be the greatest man in the East, uh, the patriarch of a very large and successful family, gone. Imagine what that must have been like. Put yourself in Job's shoes for a moment. Where does your mind go? Where does your heart go? Take those little reactions that you had earlier and then amplify that a million times. 
Is that where you're moving? You know, it's been said that suffering is a pinprick that does show what's inside of us. And that suffering can make us bitter. Or it can make us bad and angry. You know, I've been thinking about this, and I, and I think actually there's often a bit of a common thread behind a lot of our reactions to when things go wrong. Now, I think there's some deep down beliefs and foundation things that we often hold. Now, the first one, I think, is this, self-entitlement. We've, we feel like in some ways that we have this belief that we're entitled to a life that's supposed to be fun and easy and meaningful and enjoyable. And things are always meant to be smooth. And when they're not, we get angry, don't we? Because we kind of have this expectation, life's not supposed to be like this. I think it often leads to this, uh, this kind of victim mentality, right? Uh, feeling like, well, you don't have any control and, and all these bad things happen to you and, and there's always someone or something else to blame. And see those things, you can see how easy that kind of thing would lead then to real bitterness about life. Cynicism, depression, angry maybe for vengeance. But what's interesting is that Job doesn't respond that way. Like, at least not initially, he doesn't respond that way. See what happens, very key verse here in the book of Job. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the Lord of the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I want you just to dwell on that response for a moment. Look, it very much is upheld as kind of like this perfect ideal response. So you don't need to feel guilty that maybe you don't respond like that in every instance. But I want you to maybe just dwell and read on it and, and try and understand this. Because there's something else going on for Job there, isn't there? There is a deeper sense of, of trust and dependence that's there on God. That he could still worship the God who took all the good things away from him. You see, instead of resp responding with self-pity, bitterness, entitlement, victim mentality, Job responds with praise. He praises God. You see, from Job's point of view, all Job ever had was a gift from God. All the good things. He came into the world with nothing. He's going to leave this world with nothing. And everything else in between is a gift of the good, from the good hand of a gracious God. And it is God's prerogative to give and take away as he wishes. See, if you're wondering, this feels extraordinarily good. Well, that's because it is. Because deep down, there is, there is something amazing about, about Job's deeper sense of trust. You see, I think Job is presenting to us another way to view life. Another way to view life. Let me bring that up for you. He says, life is a gift. We receive the good and the bad with trust and, and gratitude to God. Right, trusting that we're not in control of all these things, and we need not worry about the things that are out of our control. That means we can accept it. We can live in dependence, that actually all the good things and the bad things come from God. No one knows better than God. If he's to take something away from me, well, then that must be for my good. Now, if you're wondering, oh, man, this thing's a bit too good. Well, read on through Job. You see that Job goes on a very long roller coaster, ups and downs of complaints and laments, and it, and it all comes out flowing through uh, Job and the conversations that he has with his friends. 
And along the way, the friends start turning the thing around and start going, well, maybe Job, you deserve this. Maybe Job, you did something wrong and, and, and that this is all actually a punishment from God. And, and, and as the book comes around to its conclusion, you, you go, no, no, this is, that definitely can't be the case. We, we know already from that introduction that Job was, was innocent. He was, this was unjust to him. But as we swing it round, the Bible then presents an alternative answer to the suffering that both Job goes through and the suffering that happens within our world. You see, the story of the whole Bible presents the fact that actually the world is broken. It is fallen and bad things happen. Suffering happens. And the God who is in charge of it all, he doesn't stay just, he doesn't just stand back and let it all happen. Now, as we follow through the story of the Bible, God enters into our broken and suffering world. In fact, he enters as an innocent child. As he enters into the world as in a man, in the man Jesus, he comes and he faces the, the suffering, the brokenness, the unjustness of this world. And he bears it upon himself. At the center of the universe is an innocent sufferer. And he calls us to follow in his footsteps. 1 Peter says this, To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled their insults at him. He did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, friends, the model response that Job kind of uh, does for a moment there in the story of Job, that Jesus really embodies, that actually suffering, bad things will happen in this world. But God is not separate from that. He has experienced that. He has entered into that. He has borne that upon himself, the perfect holy one dying in our place so that we can be cleaned and clear. See, friends, Job kind of enters, opens up these themes, these questions, these deep questions about life and about suffering. And it answers it somewhat in the, in the figure of the man of Job himself, but even in a fuller way, it's answered by Jesus. By Jesus, both his, uh, both his life, but also in the way that he models it for us. So let me actually just finish with a few thoughts then. And what does it mean to then uh, actually apply these principles that, that Job raises here? Uh, how do we apply them? What does it then mean for life in 2023? Let me show you the first one. Okay? First one's about acceptance. First one's about acceptance. Accept that life is difficult and suffering comes to all. You know, I actually think when we stop struggling against the fact that life's supposed to be hard, that actually we start beginning to accept reality. We give out that self-entitlement, that life, oh, this life's supposed to be happy and joyful and, and, and easy all of the time. When we give that up, we start to accept the world and the reality of things as they truly are. You see, we give up that, men, that victim mentality that says, well, everything bad's just happening to me. That's that kind of thing that leads to self-pity. I think it actually uh, clarifies our view for us. So here's something that I'm going to say that you don't want to hear. I guarantee you don't want to hear this. And it's a bit of a buzzkill in some ways at the start of the year. But I do think it is better off facing reality than living in our kind of 
uh, a delusion. And that's this. 2023, uh, 2023 may be a hard year for you. In fact, it may even be the hardest year for you. I hope that this is a year, one of joy and blessing, and it may be, maybe that will come from God's hand to you. But it may not, too. Now, maybe that hard year for you was actually 2022, and you're just kind of uh, uh, struggling out of that. Maybe that year for you will be 2025 or 2030 or sometime in the future. But life is hard. Suffering will come upon you. And the earlier that we can accept that reality, the better that prepared that we're going to be to face that reality. You see, I actually do you no favors if I stand up and, and, and tell you, God's got a plan to prosper you this year. It would probably make me more popular, but that doesn't ultimately serve me. Because life is hard. We live in this broken world. We continue to live in that world. I was actually listening to this, um, this, this speech by uh, Matthew McConaughey, a, a Hollywood actor that he was giving at a, at a graduation. Uh, I think he sort of captured this actually quite well. He said this, number one, life's not easy. It is not. Don't try to make it that way. Life's not fair. It never was. It isn't now and it never will be. Don't fall into the trap, the entitlement trap of feeling like you're the victim. You are not. Get over it and get on with it. Now, I don't think he's saying that there are no uh, legitimate victims out there. There absolutely are. But he's saying, actually, you know, as you're graduating young people going out into the world, don't kind of think that, that somehow you're just entitled to now to this free ride and that everything's going to be great. No, he says life's going to be hard. And the earlier you get over that, and the earlier you can get on with it and start tackling life's difficulty rather than wallowing in that self-entitlement, that victim mentality. It's that clarity, I think, that allowed Job to have the perspective to see God's hand in everything. Yes, God gives and God takes away. And blessed be the name of the Lord. See, God isn't on about making life easier for you. He is on about, though, producing disciples with a deep sense of dependence and trust on Him. And so life's not going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And see, I think there's no better way actually to grow in trust and dependence than through suffering. And so I actually think that one of the best things you can do at the start of 2023 is take stock of things. Take, a, take stock of things. Is life hard for you or not? Well, ask yourself, what are the deep foundations for me? When that moment comes, when that wind blows, is my house built on a, a foundation of rock? on the rock of the trust and the God who gives and he takes away, on the rock of Jesus? Or is it built on a kind of shifting sand of happiness that may come or may not go? Ask those questions. In fact, that's really in some ways what Iggy's been talking about for the last couple of weeks of treasuring Christ, finding a rest in Christ. If your foundation is there, then your foundation is solid. But number two, number two sort of flows on from number one in lots of ways. Number two, make time for lament make time for lament now we've got a full sermon actually on lament uh, again from our series but uh, let me just kind of summarize a few things out of that see if life is hard and we've got to accept that reality then we also need to have a good response to that and the bible's response is never self-pity kind of wallowing in my in my own uh, uh woes but actually it's this thing called lament so what is lament uh, uh check out this book this book's super helpful on this whole thing uh lament 
Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart, wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. See, what it's saying is that actually the right response of someone who trusts God, but then also experiences pain and difficulty, is to be able to express that, to bring that to God. You see, it's not a rejection of God's promises to feel sad, anxious, to feel anguish, disappointment. See, actually, when you acknowledge that and you can express that to God, you get stepped out of your self-pity and your wallowing, and you can actually bring those things to God. That's being, facing suffering, facing life with trust and dependence. And what you might actually find is that you find that God is as much present, even more present in your difficulty and in your suffering as he is in your successes, in your blessings. Number three, invest in friends who will get you through the hard times in faith and hope. And the flip side of that, be the friend. Be the friend who will help to get others through the hard times in faith and in hope. Now, if you remember, uh, and, and if you read on in, in the story of Job, Job's friends, they, they absolutely, they show up for him, they turn up, his three friends, they rock up and they sit with him. And then they start to speak and they speak all sorts of nonsense that really doubles his pain rather than relieves his pain. And, and in, in lots of ways, it's kind of like the negative example that's supposed to show us what we actually truly deep down need. And that is friends. Friends to share that journey. To share that journey of the pain, to point us, to help us, to lament with us, to, to be able to bring that to God. Not to try and problem solve, not to try and, you know, diminish or minimize their pain, but to just be present there, speaking that truth to them, helping them. You know, I've seen people endure unbelievable suffering when surrounded by friends, friends who will help to carry them that load. So invest in those friendships. Schedule that as in as part of your life. Make that as important as, as your family as anything else. Join a life group. You know, one of the things I think our life groups do do really well is the way they love and support each other when the hard times come. You know, during our holidays, we heard some like really, really tragic news from some friend of, friends of ours. Uh, they, have a, they have this one-and-a-half-year-old who went to sleep on Christmas Day and didn't get up the next morning. You know, one-and-a-half-year-old who's been walking and talking and relating and, and being part of the family. You know, I know many of you know that we also lost a child who was young, and, but even we found this incredibly hard to fathom. So sad. But this is what they had to say about it. This is what they had to say. In the last 21 months we had with her, she was a joyful and beautiful soul who brought smiles to everyone she met. She loved music, singing, dancing, playground scenes, jewelry, shoes, eating TV, cuddles, and saying aloud amen after prayers, and playing with her best friend and sister, Sienna. We love her incredibly, but know that this is a temporary goodbye. While our hearts lay broken, we hold on to our faith in Jesus and the hope he brings and find comfort within the Bible. That just knocks me down. It's an unbelievable statement of faith in the midst of suffering that is just no self-pity, 
a simple statement of the reality of their brokenness and the hope that they have in Christ. In church, God never promises that you're going to find paradise here. And if we keep listening to the marketers and the messages in the world, we'll, we'll end up in that space of entitlement and, and victim mentality. But honestly, friends, if we accept that life is hard, that we find ways to be able to cope and deal with that excitement of God's way and trust and dependence, then you can find hope in these passages of Luke. You see, church, faith is knowing that God is in control so that you don't need to, and so that we can accept the good and the bad that comes from God's own hand, and the purposes of which we won't always see. In fact, after 42 chapters, Job never finds out the reason for his suffering or the reason for his restoration at the end. See, life, church, will hurt sometimes. Maybe it'll be this year, maybe a future year. But you can prepare yourself well by looking to the example of Christ who suffered unjustly, who was shaken in all kinds of ways, but not forsaken. Like Job, like Christ, church, we can choose to entrust ourselves to a loving and caring God. So let me pray for us as we do that. Father God, Lord, we sit here in uh, lots of different states of mind, some of us having had good years, some of us having hard years. Lord, we don't know what 2023 will hold for us. But Lord, we trust you that you are a good God who is still in control even in the hard times. Father, we pray that you will prepare us that even today, right now, we would turn our hearts to you, that we might know our, our, our right place standing before you, the God of this universe who sees all things, who's in charge of all things, who is working the good for us, even in times we don't see it or feel it. Father, we pray that deep down, our foundation might be built on Christ, that as those things come, they might sadden us, that might disappoint us, that might cause us anguish, but it won't destroy us. Because, Lord, we know and we trust in a God who loves us. And so, Father, we pray that as a church, might we support each other, might we grow each other, might we accept the reality of life as it is. And might we continue to urge each other to turn to Jesus, to look to Him in faith, trust, and dependence. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Church, hey, why don't you spend a bit of time now just reflecting on the message of Job and maybe even reflecting about your own life and how perhaps that faith, that trust, dependence might work out for you. We'll see you back next week.